Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast, guys. I know you love this and I love producing them for you. Best of all is sitting down and interviewing some really, really keen anglers, but they're more than keen. They just live and breathe fishing and they look at fishing from a different aspect and you're going to absolutely love this episode. I was so in the moment when I was sitting down and talking with Roman. That's right, I'm going to be interviewing Roman. He's a legend when it comes to targeting natives all around, but natives in Gugong Dam. Now, Gugong Dam is only a small body of water in comparison to some of our bigger, larger impoundments, but it is home to arguably one of the fattest populations of cod you will find. Now, by fat, I mean the individual fish are that well built in that system. They are that thick. They have that much food. Uh, Some people will argue that there are bigger ones out there, but this has got to be right up the top there. Gugong has some massive golden perch and some even bigger Murray cod. They're obese fish. Now, Gugong can be a tough place to fish and Roman has been fishing it for a very long time. And we're going to be talking all about chasing natives in Gugong. But before we do get into that, what we do talk about is how fishing started for Roman. Now, he loves his fishing and his story behind it all. It's it's great to hear. And even when, when we get to the end of the podcast, I, I have a chat with people I interview and they go, oh, that was so good to sit down and talk about it and sort of relive my childhood or relive how I grew up and fished. And, and from my point of view, and obviously from your point of view as well, it's just interesting to hear what people have to talk about and how people go along different paths. So, I really enjoyed what the stories he shared about how fishing started for him, you know, the first fishing caught on what lure it was, how he caught it and how he sighted uh, and then we talked a little bit about uh, his DVDs and, and how the DVD started because it was one of the original, along with that and Cod Almighty, they were the two sort of big DVDs out in the native scene way back and we're looking before YouTube really took off, uh, before there was really any way to sort of get good content like we do now with online media. There was uh, the Cod Almighty series and also the Gugong Green and Gold series which Roman was behind. So I actually talked to him for quite some time about how it all come about, how it started, uh, how long and how much effort went into putting them together. So it's really, really interesting to hear him talk about and then after that we move on to Gugong. We talk about Gugong on cod, the seasons, uh, targeting cod in there, their food sources, the different techniques that work well. And we also talk about Gugong itself in terms of where it's located, how it's built, the rules around it because it has some uh, specific rules that everyone needs to follow and Roman knows them really well and shares them in this episode. So guys, it's summertime, uh, the cod are firing, bass are firing, golden perch are still being caught, trout are being caught. It's a great time to get out there. We've had quite a mild summer and yeah, I hope you guys are getting out there and catching some good fish. Whether you're listening to this on a road trip before you're heading off or at work or wherever you're listening to it, 
I hope you do enjoy this episode, but I want you to do me one favor before you continue. Just hit pause on the episode and just head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think about this podcast. Uh, It would be greatly appreciated. Also, take a screenshot. If you have Instagram or Facebook, take a screenshot, whack it up on your story and tag us and let us know what's your favorite episode, what parts you're enjoying or if you're enjoying these episodes so we can continue to create them for you. It'll also be good to hear uh, from you guys who else you want us to interview. Please send through uh, some names of anglers, keen anglers out there who you would like us to interview so then we can get them on and we can keep creating content that you enjoy. Now, one last thing before we do jump in, guys, if you didn't know, we have a free email community list. So we have a free social fishing community. It's an email list that you can sign up to and we send out a monthly email full of heaps of topics, tips, content, and we also send out regular emails on a range of different things all related to freshwater fishing. You can sign up to it. It's absolutely free and all you have to do is head to socialfishing.com.au it's on the home page. There'll be the email list. You can hit join and you can sign up with just your name and email. So if you guys want more content, if you want to be notified when these episodes come out, when we load new videos to YouTube, when we create new stuff, the best way to find out is by joining that list. Righto, guys, that is enough from me. Now, let's jump into episode 49. Have a chat with Roman about his story and how he got into fishing and also Gugong Dam Natives. G'day everyone and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm super excited. I'm with the Gugong legend, as many know him, Roman from Roaming Productions, mate. Thanks for sitting down with me. I'm super keen for a chat. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Reese. Um, it's always good to talk fishing, especially when we can't get out too much or I can't get out too much at the moment. So the next best thing, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. It's exactly right. So uh, what has it been like at the minute um, over your way? The lake's sort of slow, isn't it? Gugong. Yeah, I mean, we've had, um, like I guess everywhere else, um, a pretty hectic spring with, um, you know, heaps of heaps of rain and um, false starts, you know, some warm weather, then getting cold again. And yeah, it's just mixed it up a little bit down this way here around the ACT area. And um, yeah, it's been proving to be a bit tough, but that's how we evolve in our fishing and, um, you know, implement other tactics to get those fish kind of going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of um. I think a lot of places sort of experience the same thing over spring. Some places are fired and then sort of slows up, especially with that those cold snaps. But the lake's pretty full now, isn't it? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's over a hundred percent at the moment. I think it's um, they're just pumping out as much as they can without flooding Queanbeyan. That's yep. always the issue. But um, yeah, no, it's full. It's not that dirty, opposed to the floods we had many years ago. Um, yep. A lot of that tannin has leached out of the the timber that was um, flooded previously. So um, we have high water, but it's not dirty. It's that murk clear color, you know, when you've got about a meter or two visibility and it's got that little tinge of brown, but still, you know, that underneath that pocket of dirty water, it's clear. So yeah, it's a bit like that. And with filling up with water, it's going to, um, it's going to be good for the next couple. You reckon it's going to be good looking ahead. Now it's got water in it. You reckon the fishing will fire at some stage over the next couple of years? Yeah, as long as they keep the le- the level pretty stable. I mean, at the moment and over the last little while, some of the other dams have been worked on, so Gugong has been the prime water source. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, all the dams are pretty much chockers, so um, for seeing in the future and with, you know, obviously that 
um, El, El Nino we're having um, mm -hmm. with all that rain. Um, it's probably going to stay up for a while, so it's going to be hopefully a bumper cod season just around the corner. And um, yeah, warm water as it starts to warm. Um, you know, the yellows are naturally just going to um, be in line with um, all that prime native fishing. I'm super keen for this chat because I've um I've watched your stuff from since I was quite young before I even started creating stuff. So I just want to go out and say well done on creating those DVDs. There was nothing. There wasn't many things around really. There wasn't anyone putting in the time and effort like you did creating them uh, back when you did. So first of all, I want to say thanks to all keen fishers, all keen cod anglers out there who have enjoyed them. I remember watching them on the tackle shop wall play over and over and over again and you just loved watching it every single time so well done with those mate and we're going to get into them um a little bit further on but can you tell me a little bit about how fishing started for yourself where you grew up did, did you chase natives from the start did you start on the coast everyone's got a different story and i'm keen to hear your story yeah sure thanks for that um yeah it's started a little bit um you know left a field for me so um just like any young kid, um, you get dragged around with, you know, by your parents. My dad was a, um, a bait fisherman here locally in Canberra, so um, you know, trying to catch carp or whatever he could catch. So we would go along with him and, um, you know, the whole old thing of, you know, you're just there and you're observing what's happening and, um, you know, you're not really that interested. But then after a little while, you know, you start to think, oh, yeah, this can be a little bit fun. And, um, yeah, then later on down the track, um, I, um, you know, started a bit of carp fishing um, on and yeah. off and um, just evolved to when I was younger. I used to play a little bit of soccer back in the day and um, not wasn't great, but, you know, I, I went okay. Um, I had yeah, mates yeah. which were a lot, lot better than me, but um, one of those mates as well, Robbie, um, me and him just started randomly pretty much just going to the coast um, back in the day when you could just jump on a you know, a greyhound bus as a little youngster, you know, I think really? probably about 10, 11, 12, 13, that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, we'll just catch a bus down and, um, go to Durris and, you know, just, um, and the bay of course, and just fish off the bridge, just off the jetties when you're allowed to fish off the jetties back then. And pretty much just, you know, sleep on the beach, just be, that sounds pretty relaxed like good about fun. It. You know, <laughs> that you, sounds so much fun. Yeah, it was back then. You can't really do that these days without being frowned upon, I guess. But um, yeah, how old were you? Oh, we were young. We were in our early teens at at, at the latest in terms of age. So um, that's so cool. That's the coolest story. I can yeah. remember the story, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> no, no, it was pretty cool looking back at it. Now we used to just go into Woolies and um, get some of those styrofoam boxes. They put the veggies in and that sort of stuff, and then get some ice from um from the servo and um literally just um whatever we caught that was legal we'd um try and take back on the bus with us in our luggage <laughs> and um you know there were some nights where we just um you know fell asleep just um on the on the sand just in the bay there or a beach and we used to walk the rocks like back in the day when you were you know you were young and you just didn't think about that stuff we used to do some crazy walks around some of the the rocky areas of Doris, Browley, that sort of stuff. It was um, yeah, pretty crazy when you look back at it, you know, wrong turn, um, yeah. going around the rocks when it's high tides, you don't even look at tides, don't even know what tides are then. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's how it pretty much started, um, was just saltwater bait fishing. And, um, you know, naturally living in Canberra, you know, we've got the lakes, we've got the rivers and that sort of stuff. So I started carp fishing here. Um, yep. Just bread, that sort of stuff, just in Lake Belly Griffin. That's my original stomping ground. Um, and, you know, after catching carp, 
found it pretty easy after a little while and then um, I sort of um, fishing petered away a little bit. I got into golf and I was an elite level golfer representing the ACT so I was um, had my sights set on being a pro golfer and yep. you know, every minute, minute of my um, free time before school, after school, sometimes during school I would be um, you know, with a bucket of golf balls just hitting them down the oval or wherever I could and um, yeah, then I um, got to a stage where I um, had to stop golf for a bit because of a medical thing, which um, I was forced out for a little while. And then, um, yeah, I just took all that you know, the time I spent practicing and um, playing golf and that mental side of things of trying to work things out, being such a tough sport, I applied that to fishing and then progressed from you know, that carp fishing to going into little Malongolo River down here, which feeds into the lake, Lake Burley Griffith, and um, started fishing with yabbies, wanted to catch my first native. And I caught some yellow belly doing that sort of stuff, and then that got a bit boring. Yeah. And then um, progressed to lure fishing and to try and recover from what I was going through. I was trying to get my fitness back up, so then I decided to you know, chuck lures around, walk around. Um, and then whenever, as soon as I got that first um, – native which happened to be golden perch i remember it like yesterday just floating down malongolo in a mate's old um wooden boat i had a um electric wooden boat a no wooden way. boat man it was um <laughs> it was just something his, his his um parents had just laying around and he bought I thought you were going to say and, kayak or something but there you go wooden boat this story nah, just keeps just getting a, better <laughs> just a wooden boat and um launched it very dodgy down um you know just like I think it was just a little box trailer he had. And then I, yeah. I had an electric. Um, I didn't have a boat, but I had an electric. And then he had a car battery or a starter pack it was actually. And then we just floated down the river and um, paddles and all. And I just remember that time I was using a storm um, hot and hot, one hot of the original top. ones. Yeah, the, the yeah. metal ones um, yeah. in the gold with the black back color and um, just reeling in from the willow snags. And then a goldman just hit me at my feet and, to me, that was like the best because it was a fish probably around 50-odd centimetres, but it was just awesome just seeing that fish come out, just smack my lure and that hit. And yep. ever since then, completely hooked. And um, yep. then it went on to cod. I went um, on a mission to try and catch a cod, lost a couple in um, Longolo again on bait, and then I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I've got to get one on lure. Mm-hmm. And then the guy at the tackle shop pointed me in the direction of the river and um, then just got um met this guy called sam and um we started fishing together down the river after the, the big bushfires actually that's right there was big bushfires that came through and um so how long ago was this do you reckon like this oh, this first yellow and then when you started chasing cold like or how old were you oh i think i was like um maybe 14 or something like that right okay um, yeah so it wasn't long after you guys were doing the coastal stuff and yeah oh actually you... probably uh, let me backtrack i'm getting a bit old here i think it probably would have been about the 15 16 um year that that started actually yeah, okay so yep. it was a little bit yep. later on yep. um and yeah so just kind of evolved from that really it's a long story but that's as much of a nutshell i can put it in um then just started fishing for cod, um, went into the Bidgee after the big um, fires and everyone thought that the cod died because of all the ash in the water. And, you know, we only started fishing in the last part of that cod season and um, caught my first ever cod on a 
funnily enough, another storm lure, a storm magwort. Um, yeah. The bigger brother of the wigglewort and um, honeycomb pattern it was and in the rapids. And it was only tiny. It was only like 30 centimetres at best, this little thing. And um, I yeah. thought that was awesome and then yeah. lost the lure straight away and then um, got another one on the same lure, different colour, on, and then lost that lure and then caught another cod that session, <laughs> lost that lure. So it was going from a cod to losing a lure, but I couldn't care. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it started really small for me and then, um, you know, fishing the Murrumbidgee here in Canberra, all that rocky terrain was heaps of fun. I think that first yeah, few months of um, fishing that season, um, I think I got 101 little cod, nothing huge. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and it was really cool because everyone thought that um, – you know, the, the cod would be suffering because of the bad bushfires that we had. And, um, yeah, no, they were still there and they were, they were going well. And then just like the carp, I got, you know, I really, really um, enjoyed cod fishing and lure fishing, but I wanted those big fish that I saw like people catching. So, yeah. you know, I was catching them up to about 80 or 90 in the river. And then I was like, all oh, right, I want to get one of those big damn fish. And then as soon as I started fishing Billy Griffin and um, catching the big cod, just hand over fist in there, to be honest, um, without tooting my horn. Um, it was just, yeah, it was just something different, catching that first big one. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just progressed from there. And, you know, Lake Burley Griffin was my stomping ground and it's a fond place and heaps of memories for me with targeting big cod and then naturally just fished other waterways locally and um, started fishing Dugong and, yeah, that's all she wrote really. And, yeah, it just progressed from there. And then I um, had the opportunity of um, meeting a, a bloke called Barry Anderson um, at the gate one morning at Gurgong and um, Barry had um, these Torquedo motors on the back of his boat and I was so intrigued back then because I had little, like, Minkotas and that sort of stuff and I'm looking, oh, what the hell is this? And... They got chatting to him and he happened to be the film um, man for um, uh, Rod McKenzie's Cod Almighty series. So um, he was a Canberra local and, um, you know, saw these guys catching all these big fish and um, wanted to hone his skills and he wanted to learn a bit about Canberra waterways. And, um, yeah, it just sort of evolved from there in terms of um, the filming aspect. Barry um, showed me the filming game. I showed him the fishing and, um, yeah, our partnership grew from there um that's cool yeah so barry's a big um it was a big inspiration in terms of the filming aspect and what you alluded to earlier with um not many people doing it back then um you know barry was um you know a leader in that front um continuously filming on the boat having a setup where there was strike fight to release so um he was a big part of how my filming's evolved and um yeah he's um definitely showed me some things and um He's a real pioneer of um, that sort of strike fight to release footage. So, yeah, that's pretty much how it started in a nutshell. Yeah, in a decent nutshell. It's a big nutshell. Yeah. That's, that's, it's good. And I want to go back to how you caught that first yellow. Like, and it's it's crazy, and other people will agree, how vivid that memory of your first, especially if you're a real keen native fisher and you're as dedicated as someone like yourself or like or myself how much you remember that first native on a lure eh? like yeah it's you were just saying how good it was like i can remember mine as well it's just crazy how good it is eh? yeah it's awesome and i never thought you know growing up in canberra and you know starting saltwater fishing and bait fishing and then having that whole total flip side and aspect of freshwater and then you know what's a lure you can catch you know, fish here in Canberra. People say the lake's polluted and you know, a lot of this stuff that people have a stigma about. And, 
yeah, um, it's just cool. And yeah, I remember every single bit of that. And um, yeah, even though the willows have been taken out of Malongolo River and that stretch um, of late, I can still picture it in my head exactly what it looked like and yeah. you know, where the sticks come out and where my lure was hit and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, pretty epic. Patio, that's so good. It's so good. And then when you, just as a thought, as you were learning, like, you know how you, you went to the coast because you didn't even know about sort of, you, you were still learning about the freshwater stuff and then you, you fished the Malongo, you caught the fish and then you went to the Bidgee. And did you find that a lot of that journey for yourself was just learning or did you find that the guys in the tackle shop, like you mentioned, were a massive help or did you learn from other people or did you find it was kind of a mixture of, of both getting out in the water and, and learning from others? Oh, well, definitely um, the biggest aspect is getting on the water learning. People can tell you, obviously, guide you and what you need to do, but until you actually put that into practice, you know, that's when you get the real reward and also um, build on that knowledge. So, um, you know, I had some people at the tackle shop, you know, local tackle shop here, I had Matt Pedro, um, Pato, um, those kind of guys down in my way. People will know their names and, you know, they they steered me in the right direction. They gave me some awesome tips. Um and then fish with, you know, some of those people out on occasion. And, um, you know, just the, the mindset I had with my golf, it just um, kind of um, flowed. Flew, yeah, it just came across and um, flowed into my fishing. And, you know, I just wanted to get better. And I'm a really competitive person. So, um, I mean, I just, you know, I feel when I look back at it now, yeah, I may have taken it a bit seriously early in the day. But, you know, that's just how people evolve in life, really. Um but, yeah, just going out and um, putting it into practice is the, the biggest thing, and that's one of the biggest things that I say to the people that are either starting out on fishing or the young kids. You know, you really – you can guide people a certain way. You can tell them what to use. You can tell them what techniques yeah. to use. But until you actually go and put that into practice and not be, you know, um, uh, silver spoon fed, so to speak, um, you know, you, that's when you're really going to start learning. Like, I was basically – back in the days where you didn't have digital photography, it was literally going down to Foxy Fast Photos and that sort of stuff and printing out on negative yeah. film. <laughs> I, I was just writing down on the back of the photos, you know, what time of the day, um, yeah. where I caught it, where I was walking the bank, because back then it was just walking the bank primarily and, um, you know, the weather conditions, what lure, um, all that sort of stuff. I've got it actually in my photo album now. Um, I look back on it and I'm just like, holy crap, my writing's really messy, but I can read it. I know yeah. what's going on and, you know, I used to carry my photos around just to remind me of, you know, where I'd catch fish and that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, man, yeah. it's just one of those things that you know, I had that personality where I was just addicted, completely yeah. addicted. And, you know, that's yeah. what, what's got me um, into fishing um, to the full extent, really. That's so cool what you're talking about right now. Like here I am just sitting here smile and going like, look how far we've come, not not in fishing but technology. Like, But back then, like the, the photo albums, taking photos and getting them, you know, developed. Like that's, I was in the very, very end of that era but it, you would have had a lot more of it and other people like Starlo, for example, when I talked to him, he's he would have experienced so much more. But like it's crazy how we've come so far but those were so valuable, hey. Like those photos and those memories they're pretty special like a lot of people growing up these days they're growing up in a different world and they just they don't won't have that sort of aspect you know to, and obviously their life will change and things will change for them but I feel like there was a massive change in the last I don't know 20 25 years like from then till now and and yeah it's just cool talking about memories and I bet you're sort of 
coming thinking of it as you're talking about it and it's bringing back those awesome memories it's cool i just love hearing the stories so let's move on to you were telling me about so gugong you met barry yeah so that was when you met him was that one of the first trips you did to gugong or had you already sort of nutted the place out and started to fish it quite a lot when you met him i fished it a little bit i'd probably say um probably nine months or so. Um, but that's nine months of me okay. spending a lot of my time and free time, which I had back then. Um, you know, I was, I've been working full time since I was about 11 years old, 12 years old anyway, but every single bit of spare time I had, um, on the weekends or in the afternoons or that sort of stuff, I would just go out fishing. Um, and you know, that nine months for the average person probably would equate to like three or three years or something like that. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just put a lot of effort into understanding um, the fish and the waterways and that sort of stuff. So I met him around about that just under the year mark and um, I had a bit of an idea of what was going on. So, um, yeah, I shared a bit of stuff with him. And like I said, he, he returned the favour with the filming stuff and then um, yeah. it kind of went from there. We caught some really good fish together in that early stage and um, obviously just having that torpedo um, technology that you know if not many people if they're not aware of it it's just essentially like you know six ten horsepower electric motors um that sort of stuff so seeing that i was really intrigued i actually had my boat in tow um he had his boat and i was just said look this is so cool and he just said oh do you want to jump on board and i'm like yeah i'll leave my boat in the car park no worries yeah so <laughs> literally that's just how it was met him the first day um it was kind of you were both to... on your own obviously yeah yeah we were i think it was on a, a weekday and um yeah, it just went from there. And then, you know, I watched the Cod Almighty stuff. The Cod Mac stuff was pretty inspiring. And, um, yeah, it was just funny enough that he is a local and he travelled to do that filming. And, um, yeah, he was situated in Canberra. And then that's how the fishing relationship developed. And, yeah, yeah that's big, big thing about what I've done in terms of that filming aspect. And um, that's come from Barry. And, yeah. It was meant to be meeting him at the boat ramp. How good is fishing? Just the the friendships you build and just how crazy the timing is. Like imagine if you didn't go out or he didn't go out on that trip. There's a good chance you'll never have crossed paths. You know what I mean? Like Exactly, exactly. And so did you ever think about... So first of all, did you watch those Cod Almighty DVDs before you met Barry or did he kind of introduced them to i'm not quite sure when they come out in the timeline of when you met him and then also had you even thought about ever putting together any kind of film or was it kind of barry's idea or how did that idea for googong green and gold start so i think there's two questions there if you can um back in those days like you said the um the dvds were being played in like the tackle shops so um i heard some buzz about a cod dvd and um i hadn't seen it at that point on i don't think it actually released well they didn't have it in the shop then but yeah um, okay so it was about the same time they were being made so you'd only just made them sort of yeah i did know about them though i just didn't know that um i didn't see them happening um and playing in the shop so yeah um yeah and then um he uh he then told me a bit more about them and um how he caught his you know first cod um and that sort of stuff and then um yeah, he um he had all the equipment, so all the stuff that you would have probably seen in the DVDs with the two booms, um, the big microphones at the back of the camera, I'm sorry, at the back of the boat with the cameras and um, you know the steering wheel kind of gimbal sort of stuff. That was permanently fixed on his boat, so he um, was developing that um, when we were talking. So 
we were out on the boat. I think it was the very first time he was telling me how he would um, be filming um, the content for Cod Almighty and um, then he wanted to have some permanent fixtures on his boat. So it kind of evolved from there. So he was... He didn't have those during... Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. He didn't... So you're saying he didn't have those set up for Cod Almighty? Yeah. um, From from my knowledge, he didn't because um, it was going back like 15 years now. So um, in terms of... um, the intricacies i'm yeah, pretty sorry. I'm, yeah that's cool i'm pretty sure at that time he didn't have them um, yep. he had to hold the camera and yep. i think that's probably why um from memory some of the fights you know he picks up um the footage halfway through and then yep. he wanted to develop a way to um, have the footage running the whole time um but i mean i don't want to put all the words in his mouth he'll probably speak about that if he gets onto a podcast anytime soon but essentially it was um evolving developing that um on the boat his idea totally his idea um i had yep. no idea about proper production and that sort of stuff then um and then um, once uh he developed that actual aspect of having the fixed cameras then um my mind started getting into the filming and then the editing and then i copied him with the software that he had in terms of being able to edit things and yeah my passion and his passion merged together and then his passion became fishing my passion became filming and then yeah the wildlife and that sort of stuff so um yeah that's kind of how it evolved um and yeah it um to this day i think that's what it's all about now people catching that strike fight to release so um Mm. he was a pioneer of the idea we perfected it through you know our partnership with the google green and gold series and um yeah, he, he actually mentioned, I um, and I remember that vividly, he's like, after working out how good the fishing is here in um, Gurgong and how, how much of a special waterway it was and how unique it was, that um, I've got to try and get this on film. This would make a really good DVD. And, um, yeah, that's how, how it all became about, really. <laughs> that's so good. And then do you reckon your passion... Obviously, your passion for filming come from him, but are you glad you come across this passion for filming to add on to your fishing? Are you glad that's the path it took rather than... Obviously, it started with golf and then it evolved to fishing and then it sort of went fishing and your photography and filming. Are you glad it went that way and played out like that? Oh, definitely, because um, you know, the amount of things that you pick up out when you're fishing in terms of wildlife, nature and that sort of stuff, we've, we've got some really incredible footage that um, obviously we've shown in the DVDs and some stuff we've got banked up that we didn't release because we could have made you know, many, many more sequels of the, um, the Googong Green and Gold series. But, um, yeah, we've got some incredible footage. I'm very, very happy that um, you know, it went down that way because I've got that um, you know, to watch back on and potentially in the future maybe release some of the stuff um who knows um yeah i'm very very happy it went out that way we'll get back to the episode with roman very soon but i just want to touch on a couple of things that you might be interested in now we are developing a brand new platform uh, the social fishing membership and inside it is the SF maps. Now, I just want to let you know we have just released the Wyangala Dam maps. Now, that is the eighth map we have completed. Some of the other ones, just to list off the top of my head, are Lake Mawala, Blaring Dam, Burrinjuk Dam, Lake Eildon. Now, what it includes is so much detail on access points, reports, 
and boat fishing areas, key areas that you can fish when you head to the lake, plus a stack of fishing tips. That's what's inside the SF Maps. And you can learn more at socialfishing.com.au. But what I want to talk to you about is some that we have in the pipeline that are coming up. I've just returned home from a trip to the Hunter region, and I've already collected the content for the Glenbourne and the Lake St. Clair maps. So those maps will be coming very, very soon, along with one that I did at the end of last year, which was Lake Eucumbeen. So Eucumbeen, Glenbourne, St. Clair, they are coming up very soon. And then we also have plans to visit a range of other lakes. They include Lake Epilock, Cairn Curran down in Victoria. We're also planning to head over to the Gippsland area and do Blue Rock and Glen Maggie uh, and show some of the bass opportunities that are available down there. We also want to do some more in central Victoria. We're looking at Waranga Basin and Lake Nilakudi, a few lakes like that. Then we're going to be also doing the ACT regions. We're going to build maps for Gugong Dam and then also Lake Billy Griffin and all the other urban lakes in the ACT. Northern New South Wales is also on our list and that includes Copeton Dam, the famous Copeton Dam. We're going to be creating content on that. Also, Split Rock, Keep It, Chaffee, Pindari, and then hopefully we can get up into Queensland and do Glen Lyon and a range of other systems. And once they're all done, we're going to be adding content, maps, and access points on some of our major rivers, the Murray River, the Murrumbidgee River, and the Lachlan River, as well as the Goulburn River in Victoria. They are all on our radar. So by having access to the SF membership, not only do you get a stack of other content, but you will have access to all of these maps. You get all of them. And what you will get is the access point. So if you're heading for a trip out on the Murrumbidgee River or the Murray River, you don't know where to put the boat in. You don't know where to camp. There will be details on if the camping's any good, if you can get a boat in, if you can even bait, bank fish, fish from the bank successfully or if it's quite poor or good. All of these different features have star ratings, information, blurbs and photos. We visit all these areas. We'll take photos, give you a little bit of an update on what it's like at that spot so that you know what's there and know what to expect before you head out. That's just a brief overview of the SF Maps. It's available inside the Social Fishing Membership. Make sure you go check it out. The more support we can get, the more maps we can add. And that'll all happen by getting support from all you great people out there. So make sure you head over to socialfishing.com.au to check out the SF Membership. You can easily sign up there and I hope to see you on the inside. Now, let's get back to the chat with Roman. You've got, there was three, so there ended up being three DVDs. Can you run us through sort of half briefly? Um, the yeah, first sure. one, The first one was after that meeting with Barry and how long until you guys sort of come up with the idea and started putting it into action, like was it a week or a month or six months? And then from there, how long, I want to, I'd be keen to, I'm keen to know how much effort went into putting them together because cod are not easy fish to catch and big cod are not easy fish to catch and there's periods you could go through um, if the fishing was like perfect, it may have all aligned for you for a period and then I'm not sure there was massive dry spells. So what was kind of the, if you can remember, um, the first sort of the start of the first DVD when it came out and then sort of the whole timeline for the whole three and how it all happened? Yeah, so um, the first DVD idea pretty much happened on that first um, meeting really on the water. Um, when Barry was talking about Cod Almighty and then I was talking about how good the fishing was here at Gugong and um, yeah so it kind of um, was just an idea at the time oh yeah we can do one sort of here is what Barry said yeah um, and then because um, I think it 
I think actually it come to memory just before um, I met him, he may have got a big one out there by himself. Right. Um, and that's what triggered him on coming back there. So, yep. um, yeah, he either got that just before or just after I met him. Um, yep. And then I can remember it, 110 centimetres just off one of the rock walls. He said his spinnerbait just hit the water and boom, it was one of those surface hits, you know, when your, your lure yep. just lands on the water. And then um, he got that one and um, that's when it really first started. So he may have had that idea before I met him in terms of making the DVD, putting yep. it into action and that sort of stuff and um, understanding the waterway. That pretty much just evolved from the first time I met him because um, he did mention it. And then um, I would say within that first, within that year, definitely, that's when the first one was done. The filming was done. It was um, done. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was done. So we, we would go out um, fairly regularly and, um, you know, get these big cod. Um, and that's when the water was gin clear and it was a drought for many, many, many years. I think it was like 10 years and had those really thick weed beds that were lining all the, yeah. um, all the banks around Gurgong, which was like Remember five, yeah, yeah, five meters deep and like three or four meters wide. So you really couldn't cast effectively walking the bank. Like that's, that's the kind of terrain that we were dealing with back then and you could see up the seven meters it was gin clear like flowering and when people hear me say seven meters i think i'm exaggerating but no no, no exaggeration you. whatsoever yeah. um and yeah and the really frustrating thing about that uh first dvd was um we actually uh wanted to get um some underwater footage of um, these fish um, either swimming or, you know, hooking up that sort of stuff. Back then yep. we had to actually go scuba diving for them and that sort of stuff. Um, but then we had massive rains come in. So you'll see on the second DVD that it's a bit more brown and that sort of stuff. Um, but between the first, second and third DVD was probably about one and a half years apart between them all maybe, maybe yep. two years. And then um, first DVD was just Google on green and gold and it was um, just cod, big cod. Yep. Um, and then the second one, um, Next Cast, I think, yeah, Next Cast, we named it. And then um, that was Golden Perch and Murray Cod, um, mm -hmm. slightly different techniques. So the first one was just casting the banks, spinnerbaits, primarily spinnerbaits, that sort of stuff, you know, the big craze back then. And then um, similar sort of stuff for when we're targeting um, the Golden Perch and the cod. And then... The third DVD was um, cod, cod and cod. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was sick. We had one of those six um, six big cod in space of only a short period um, out there on, on film and, you know, some of those really early day stuff where, you know, you look at YouTube now and it's just absolutely littered with all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but back then it was something that was fresh and something that um, only – you know, a handful of people were kind of doing or, you know, one or two people were doing, to be honest. So, yeah, it's really cool to see how it's all evolved from um, back then to now and, yeah. I bet you love having that footage, even for yourself, just to see, you know, there's, there's something awesome about having it on film because you learn a lot as well. Like, oh, I imagine mate. you would have learnt so much. Like, I didn't remember it like that because it happens that quick, eh? Like a cod hit. And I bet yeah. you 
have learnt so much just from just yourself watching them back. Exactly. And one of the big things that I tell people too who ask me, what's the secret? What's the secret? You know, obviously time's the secret. That's the number one thing. But, um, you know, one of the big things, whether it's Gurgong or other dams or any any waterway, in my belief, um, is pausing your lure. You know, so what the yep. beautiful thing that we had was being able to watch it back, like you mentioned, and um, 90 nine percent of the time it was literally getting a hit just after we'd stopped the lure or we'd bend over to pick something up or you know just pause the lure or yeah on the drop that sort of stuff so that's the big thing that i was able to key in quite early on in the piece and that's why i would always incorporate you know a little flick on my on my lure just as it hit the water pause it and let the lure sink to the bottom you know through the retrieve and you know just a few twitches that sort of stuff so that was the biggest thing for me in watching it back yeah right and then obviously once you sort of worked out that was the that was sort of happening then you consciously thought about that and did you still give the results continued oh yeah for sure yeah. it got better it got better yeah um, and so with the pause do you how many, obviously you can't give me an answer because every condition, every cast, everything's different, everything. But how many casts on a standard bank that you're fishing for cod, say it's a, a, a rocky bank, not super steep, but a nice rocky bank. How many pauses would you like to get into that retrieve, you know, after what you've learned? Like are you talking two or three or would you prefer to be higher in your retrieve? Oh, what do you try to do? Yeah, so initially as it lands on the water, there's just a, quick twitch so there's one out of the way straight away yeah. um another at least a couple more throughout the retrieve um you know obviously when you get a bit uh, tired and bored not bored but you know frustrated that you haven't got a hit for all day you know that goes out the window you know you start reeling quickly and that sort of stuff um yeah. but generally about at least three in a in a in a retrieve and um that's one of the other things that i picked up as well is you know when you do start daydreaming how much faster you, you tend to retrieve and you know Agreed. completely pulls off um, you know, that consistency um, that you've worked out previously. And that's another reason why a lot of people, I believe, um, struggle to um, get some of the fish that we kind of get to is um, not only you want to, you know, incorporate those things that are consistently catching your fish, but also bearing in mind that you, you need to slow down, you know, when we're talking cod or yellow belly. And a lot of the times it's throughout the summer too, you know, just slow down. You know, if whether it's maintaining contact with the bottom, that slow, or, you know, just really thinking about your retrieve, um, that's when, you know, your numbers do climb in success. Yeah, so it's, and I agree, as soon as you kind of are thinking you're worried or you're questioning whether you've picked the right bank or or you're like, oh, what's going on? Or you, you're kind of in a motion of just methodically casting. It does, it goes out the window. How You retrieve so much quicker and it and it just makes your chances so much worse doesn't it oh yeah like, yeah exactly what you said is is i totally totally back that so going back to the the lake it was what percent was gugong when you first did that dvd you were talking about the weed beds and that can you remember what percent it stayed at or roughly like i for think ages? i think it was like 30 to 40 percent i don't think it was much more than that at all yeah, um, okay. so it's substantially lower than it is at the moment um and yeah, you know, there's still a lot of water in the dam, but yeah, completely different landscape, especially when, you know, it's a dam that was felled and you know, a lot of the trees were um, taken down before they filled it. So 
Um, yeah. It was literally just a weed bed. There wasn't even little twigs or anything of that nature generally as well. So yeah, okay. it was um, completely different. That's why it was such an awesome trout fishery for so long. You know, it, people would travel from um, all across Australia to go catch the monster browns and monster rainbows that Googong was famous for. And then Rod Paxavanis, another pioneer, you know, started to un- unravel all the native um, components of the dam and, you know, catching the big one on fly and that sort of stuff. So, you know, he really was probably the first person that really put Googong on the map. Um, mm. And then, yeah, just as kind a of... Fish, as a native fishery. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, he's... Um, he, he worked it out a lot long before anybody else, to my knowledge. Yeah, okay. And then it's just the stories of, you know, history of, like, I'm just enthralled in listening to you talk about Googong and how it evolved and how it changed. And now it's, like, every waterway changes so much, like, from then to now and even every two years between then and now, it's changed so much. With your DVD, can you, did you have a goal for we want to get six metre cod, we want to get 10 metre cod. Do you, can you remember that you had a goal or did you have just a feeling of you got to a point and go, yeah, we've got enough for the first one? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I know that Barry was talking about this too. After obviously filming all those big ones with um, Cod Mac, he's like, oh, we need to get some big cod, you know? And as soon as we start to get, I think it was like one, two or three cod, it was like, yeah, we've got enough. So really? it was, yeah, yeah, it was, I remember that vividly. So, um, you know, he was adamant we need to get big fish. Bang, we got them. Yeah, we got enough now to really start to put, you know, a good DVD out there. Right. Yeah, so it was okay. as quickly as catching the fish to, yep, let's do it. As soon as we yeah. had the fish that we thought were comfortable to, you know, make it very viewable and um, that impact of catching the big fish, yeah. um, that was it. So, you know, that was... I reckon um, you nailed the impact. Like, the adrenaline that you, like, we as the audience felt watching it was just, it was it was there and you guys nailed it. Like, the whole, that hook up and how excited you got, like, when you hooked onto those fish. And wasn't there one day, I don't know if it was the first day of the day or the second day of the day, you got, more, you got multiple fish in the day. Um, I don't know if you can remember... Yeah, the there was, there was, there was a... Are you talking about, um, it wasn't Barry, it was another... Another yeah. guy on the boat with me, we got six in the space of, I think it was just about a couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of yeah. overcast, I think. And yeah. And we fishing a right-hand bank in yeah. the footage. Yeah. yeah. That that was what... Oh, the... hang on. That was the first one. That was the first one. And that's one... Yeah, yeah. I remember. So, I got a, I think I got a 95 um, yep. in the corner and then you could see the, um, the fish just come out and um, grab the lure because it was so clear. I yep. think that was probably the one of the first takes that you saw over Murray Cod in the water from outside the water roll over and grab my lure. Yeah. Um, and then um, yeah, then another another guy on the DVD, Dean. He he got another big one. Yeah, that's right. I remember that fondly because um, yeah, he'd never caught a big cod before and contacted us and contacted me and you know invited him out on the boat and um, yeah he. Um, he got his first metery and I remember that quite fondly because um, I caught one just in that corner and there was a lot of, um, uh, th- you know, that thick like um, almost like lily pad kind of um, cover in the corner yeah, okay. and then there was yep. another spot like that and then um, um, Dean was like, oh, look, there's another spot just like that and then I, I deliberately didn't cast there. Um, I could have put a cast in there but I didn't um, and then he – he put his in there and bang, he got that big one. 
and then he yeah. turned to jelly and all that sort of stuff and um it was quite funny to see to be honest um the yeah. outtakes outside of the dvd is a lot funnier but you, you yeah. see he, he turns to jelly he gets that adrenaline rush and he can't hold the fish up and he's a pretty big dude and you know that's the thing that really um is cod fishing in a nutshell when you completely lose all sense of who you are you know you can be a big you know big footy player type of bloke and then you catch a fish and it's just a fish people will say but when you can see what it can do to people with that adrenaline and that sort of stuff you know that's the moment that we kind of live for as cod fishermen so capturing that sort of stuff that was pretty cool and even going back to the first dvd like that's a fond memory and i have a pretty photographic memory when it comes to you know those sort of moments in my fishing so yeah i knew exactly what you were talking about then Bloody awesome. I know what you're talking about. My first meter, it was shocking. It made me feel sick. Like, it was a good sick, but afterwards I was that, I was shaking that bad. I was like, i got to sit down. Like, I'm shaking. It just it just made me think of that, That what you explained in there about the adrenaline it gives you. It's so good. Real quick, I'm going to talk a little bit about Googong as a fishery now for sure. people who'd be keen to fish it. First, can you touch on, first of all, um, oh, also, before I move on, I'll mention at the end as well, you still have the DVDs. Are they still available for people to purchase? Yeah, so there's only a limited number of um, the Google on Green and Gold DVDs that I have in my possession. So um, there's not a whole heap. Um, I do still um, sell them um, out uh, with the small remainder that I have. So, um, you know, if anyone's after them, um, I guess we can talk about that later on the podcast where you can get them. But yes, I yep. do have some. Um, and then I've also got you know, my most recent one, the Google. Um, sorry, should I, I repeat that? On the road. My most recent run, which is called um, Green and Gold on the Road. Yep. Um, so, yeah, they're still yep. about. Can you touch on a little bit about, like, if someone's never fished the place, they want to go there, first of all, what are the rules? Um, and it's based in, it's based close to Queen Bean, isn't it? It's actually in New South Wales. Yeah, cool. So, essentially, it's um, Commonwealth water. So, it's ACT water, but it's on New South Wales land. Ah, so, so it's owned by South- ACT. Yeah, but the water, the actual land that it's on is New South Wales, so it's yeah. caught in that grey area. But the one thing that's 100%, it's treated as New South Wales in terms of fishing. So okay. you need your New South Wales fishing licence first and foremost. So um, when we're talking about just general rules, they do have opening hours. So in daylight savings time, it's 8 to 8, so 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., closed overnight. Um, yeah. And then non-daylight savings, it's 8 to 6 p.m. Um, so that's the general opening hours. Um, it's a national park in, in generally, so you, you can't be taking your dogs there. Um, you want to look after the place. So don't leave your rubbish. Um, take your rubbish with you. Um, the rangers out there, um, you know, do have a tough job to begin with. So we want to make it as easy as we can for them. And um, the, one of the big things is um, by, by the rules that are out there because it is a waterway. It's one of the only waterways, so drinking waterways, that you're allowed to fish in the country. So yep. um, it's a pure, um, clean drinking water. Um, so, yeah, treat it, um, you know, as a treasure because it can easily be closed. And we've had instances in the past where it has been closed because people have done stupid things out on the water. Um, yeah. So... At the drop of a hat, it can be closed. During the fire ban, it's also closed too. So total fire ban for New South Wales of the ACT, it's full closure. And aside from that, um, you know, Christmas Day, it's closed. Um, but if you do take your 
um, your boat out, you want to make sure that you um, either don't have your petrol on board, like a petrol motor. Yep. It's an electric only fishing water. Um, mm -hmm. If you can't take out your um, petrol uh, motor, or if you don't want to take it off, you have to get a um, uh, you have to get an orange bag and cover your um, back of your motor so there's no fuel leakage, um, that sort of stuff. Oil and also make it visible for the um, you know the authorities to know. Yep, that's a guy with an orange bag, not a black bag, an orange bag, that sort yep. of stuff. Um, and you want to take your fuel tanks out. If you can't take your fuel tanks out, you have to make sure they're dry. Um, right. So to reiterate, you can't use your petrol. Yes. Yeah, so as a summary, the motor has to be, if you can't get it off, lift it as high, like fully out of the water, yep. orange bag, tape it up. So there's no fuel possible, like no fuel can get into the water and take your fuel tanks out. And if not, have them dry. Yeah, exactly. And um, you do need a, a boat permit. And these days, it's so simple. It's literally an online PDF smart form you fill out and instantly it emails to you. So people don't have an excuse not to have a permit. Um, if you have a boat that um, uh, is just with an electric motor, you still need to grab that permit too. Right. Um, yep. So um, basic rules apply. Um, it's an alpine waterway, um, even in the summertime. You need to be wearing your life jacket if you're in a boat that's um, under a particular size. I think it's 4.8 meters underneath that. Um, yep. Then you need to be wearing a life jacket at all times um, or if you're by yourself um, in a larger vessel. Um, but one of the big things that you still see these days is people not wearing their life jackets, e either for photos in the boat or mm -hmm. videos or Instagram feeds and that sort of stuff. Yeah. That is still happening. Um, you know, you you probably can get pinned after the fact if there's evidence out there. So just be wary, um, wear your life jacket. One, it's going to save your life Two, That's just the rule. And um, general bank walking stuff is um, when you get to Gugong and you get to um, the boat ramp, you actually can't fish off the bank near the boat ramp. Um, right. There's a point called drumstick point, right? Um, the easiest yep. way to uh, maneuver your way around there is just think about the car park at the top. Um, underneath that car park, you've got two jetties, wooden jetties. You can't fish left of those jetties on the bank at all. You have right. to only walk right, walk around to Shannon's Inlet, and then as far as you can go walking-wise. Um, right. And you can't even get on your on the bank um, on that side of the dam towards the dam wall um, and actually walk the bank because of erosion near the dam yep. wall. And one of the big things as well is you can't get in the water at Gugong, in the dam, regardless of where you are. I mean, you can't get in there with a fish, for example. Um, big Murray Cod, I know that some people like to get in the water with them, but one yep. of the big rules is you can't actually get in the water with a fish. If you have to get into the water, it is simply just um, getting out and in from your boat or your, your kayak. It's not actually, you know, um, yeah. anything more than that. So... You know, it's a little bit of detail there, but that's to the extent um, they perfect, try and protect yeah. the place. So, um, you know, do abide by them. I try and um, inform yeah. people as much as I can on, you know, the rules on my page and that sort of stuff as well to make it a bit easier. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's good to know uh, so that everyone does the right thing and it stays open because they could close it uh, at a drop of a hat like you said. So I'm yeah. glad you run through That's why I wanted you to sort of touch on that. It's uh, such a special... Sorry, sorry, Reese. You're right. Go for um, it. It's such a special waterway. You know, it doesn't have carp in there. It's got zilch carp. 
people think they see carp, but they actually see those, um, you know, the uh, quote native goldfish that people see, you know, the ones yep. that look like ebony brim, the bright orange ones and that sort of stuff. Yep. They're not coy like the two-toned sort of colour um, carpy stuff. It's yep. actually no barbells, um, goldfish. That's what people are seeing. And then it's your, your native fish, so your cod, your yellows. There were Macquarie perch there. Back in the day, hopefully there's still some there. Massive silver perch over 60 centimetres. And when wow. people hear that, they don't believe it. But, you know, Windermere's got some big silvers approaching that size. Gugong's got some monster ones, but they're very seldom caught. Um, and then obviously you've got your reddies, your trout. They don't stock browns in there anymore, but you've still got your odd buck-nosed brown that actually still breeds in there. So you often yep. can get, you know, a massive brown follow your native lure up, which I've had many times um so yep. yeah that's that that's your main species there but the kicker is no carp yeah which is awesome so that'd be a massive benefit for the system so they're the fish in it how if someone's visiting the lake for the first time or even when you were kind of learning uh, what's what's kind of a general plan if you head out out on the lake like a lot of people will just have a general electric motor is it worth spending time traveling to fish areas uh what kind of structure we're we looking for with the cod and i think a big part from my understanding but you can correct me on googong is the redfin population really determines how the cod behave in that lake don't they and how they feed oh it definitely does to a, a quite a large extent most of the time um, but the first thing that i would do um, is no matter what waterway it is but let's talk googong obviously uh, work out what's in there so I've gone through what species are in there, but also work out what um, fish will be feeding on. So yes, you've got those redfin perch. So you're going to have a lot of redfin fry, particularly you know around late winter and spring when they breed up. You've got yabbies, you know, you've got your mud eyes, you've got that sort of stuff as well. So first of all, it'd be understand what's in the water, feeding. How do you before I kept, I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off. How do you how does someone work out what's in a waterway, whether it's Googong or any waterway? Did you learn from other people when you about a waterway and what's in there? Because like some waterways have these small gudgeon, all sorts of different yep. things. Is there can you can you look along edges of waterways and and find fish or what's kind of your way of doing that? Hundred percent. So that's how I learned. Um, so before you know social media and all that sort of stuff. It was simply just observing. So observing those reddies up in the shallows in springtime, you know, from really small fry growing up, that sort of stuff. Seeing the yabbies on the bank, that sort yep. of stuff. Um, having yabbies follow your lures up, believe it or not, I've had that happen at Googong. I've been throwing That's a lure cool. and had a yabby, you know, just chasing it backwards. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? Seeing the, um, the mud eyes hatch, that sort of stuff, dragonflies, all that sort of stuff, the insect activity, it's visual, but... These days, you can just Google what's in a the waterway. They generally will give you the species of fish that are in there. But, yeah. um, you know, if you're fishing a particular area, whether that's, you know, like, let's just say Glenbourne or that area, you're going to have, um, you know, a general scheme of, uh, you know, gudgeons or fish in a waterway as well. So you've also yeah. got to think about the region too. Um, yeah. And then, it, you know, working out what fish are feeding on too. So in the winter, yabbies go dormant. They go and bury themselves, you know, they're down in the mud sort of stuff, so they're not going to be active. Fish aren't going to be getting too many yabbies, so what's next on offer, that sort of stuff, matching your lures to the red fins or whatever fish it may be, um, or using, you know, just like your, um, your blades for your little crawdads and that sort of stuff, little yabbies and shrimp and 
imitating soft plastics to, you know, be worms that may be washed in um, with, you know, flood water and that sort of stuff too. So, yeah, that's yeah, the sort okay. of stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, so for Googong, if someone's if someone's heading out, um, I don't know what's the best way to kind of give a summary on fishing the lake would you would you look at seasons and sort of what happens each season how you approach i'm keen to, one thing i'm keen to hear is sort of one of the go-to ways you target your yellows and also one of the go-to ways for the cod and sort of the right time of year i know i know the question could go on forever and you could answer it so many ways because every fishery is different and changes but is there kind of a general rule or some tips you can share on that Okay, cool. So it's evolved a lot, obviously, with technology and understanding and that sort of stuff. But let's just go back to when I first started fishing Google, right? I had a sounder on the boat, but I really didn't pay attention to it, right? Yeah. Um, I'd be casting the banks. So I guess the lifeblood of a uh, fishery in terms of catching the fish or what the fish are doing is usually on the bank, right? Yeah. So yep. whether that's summer, boiling hot, 30-degree water plus or you know, out of Gurgaon and get down to like three or four degrees or even lower to an extent as well, right? The fish, the lifeblood of um, fish eating is generally on the bank. They use them as highways. So mm-hmm. um, you're going to have fish naturally gravitating towards the bank for cover. So those bait fish and those fish moving in to eat those bait fish and then those other smaller fish that are coming up, the bigger fish will come in and try and eat them. So it's more so going out there and um, observing what's happening on the bank, casting your lures at the bank parallel, casting across the bank, into the bank, all that sort of stuff. Yep. Uh, working your lures quite close to the bottom because fish uh, natives have the eyes at the top of their head. They generally will be hiding, so they'll ambush predator. So you want to try and fish the water column that they're likely going to be in. And um, obviously, in the boiling summer during the middle of the day, they're not going to frequent the banks too much. Go fish the deeper water. In the winter, when they want to get that sun and they're up on the bank for a bit longer, that's when you'll be targeting your big cod in the winter sort of stuff. So um, the bank's the lifeblood. It just depends on how deep you're fishing against that bank or on that bank. So. It is- does the depth depend on, like you just said, summer or winter, or does it also depend on, on the bait source, like the redfin when they're feeding on redfin, for example? Yeah, yeah, it's a mixture of both too, um, but also it depends on the type of bank, whether it's a sheer drop-off or you have a step on that bank. And what I like to um, refer to as a step, I refer to it as a cod step. So um, Nice. <laughs> you, yeah, so if let's just say you're fishing, um, you know, this time of the year, you know, that, those those mornings can still be a little bit brisk. So, um, you know, your cod are more likely going to be up on that bank in the shallower water for longer. So you're going to be casting at the bank um, more than likely not. What kind so, of depth shallow, like early summer? Oh, mate, saying? it can be anything. As long as the water right, is okay. covering the fish's back, the amount of times I've gone out there and I can smell big cod and not, yep. you know, other other people probably have the same sort of thing where you, you know, those big cod, they stink. There's a stink yeah, about them, right? Yep. Um, that's why when people start catching a lot, they say you've got the stink. You know, it's not a, a bad thing. It's a good thing. You smell like a fish. <laughs> um, but those big cods, you can even smell them when they have their backs out of the water or when they're hovering quite close to the surface of the water and you're like, oh, there's a fish here. And then you know, a lot of the times I've caught big cod after I've smelt them. It sounds funny, but it's true. But yeah. as long as um, you know they've got a little bit of cover over their back, so shallow metre of water, um, sometimes half a metre, depending on how big that fish is. Um, even in know, early summer. Oh, even in early summer, yes, for sure, yep. because, you know, this this corner of the world it gets quite cold sometimes, even at night time in the summer too. So 
um, that cod step. So I'll go back to that. So cods soaking in the sun or chasing bait in the shallows, right? They're, they're on a steep bank, uh, which may gradually go down um, on a slight angle for the first three metres of that bank, right? So it might only yep. be a metre and a half deep or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But then generally, once you find those banks that have that steep drop, so when it goes from that couple metres to like the five metres or seven metre mark, that's what I call yep. the cod step. Um, I like fishing banks like that because the fish don't have far to travel. So whether they're sitting up in the shallow or sitting out in the deep water, they're not swimming far. Right. It only right? takes them like... 10 seconds to exactly get whatever. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. so it gives you more of a chance of catching that fish in a close proximity so i like to fish in areas which i've identified as a cod drop um, right okay you know when i'm targeting cod so um you know the bait will come in depending on obviously what's on offer in terms of weed bed or bushes or tree or that sort of stuff that also comes into play but in a general sense the lifeblood of a a dam and especially Googong is that bank. So it's just working out those um, those little things and um, putting the pieces together um, on you know how to work your lures, working close to the bottom, working on that drop off. It's similar sort of principles. Um, you know, taking your yeah. time to you know really um, uh, map out a um, a dam visually if that's clear water or using yep. the sounder that sort of stuff. So does it, does that step, do you use that step in summer and winter? Oh yeah. It doesn't matter what time of year. Yeah. Even middle of winter, man. Um, big yep. cod, um, you know, they've got a lot of, um, lot of, a lot of meat behind them and sometimes obviously they'll have a lot of fat there too. So they're still not going to stay up on the bank for hours on end in the, in the winter. Um, yep. That's the one misconception that people often do have is, oh yeah, it's shallow, it's winter, they'll be there. Not, not, yep. not generally, especially if they have that cod step. You know, they yeah, will yeah. go down and either if that's, um, they got enough sun, they can handle the cold temperatures, the warm temperatures. That's why they're such a unique species around the world. You know, they can handle um, close to minus temps and then boiling 40 degree temps. So, um, you know, they've, they've got a big range and um, you've really got to hone into that because, um, you know, once you work that out and then you work out their patterns, whether they're chasing a, you know, a, a patch of redfin or a big redfin school, which Gugong's famous for, you know, you find those red fins sitting on certain areas, whether it's 20 metres deep, 5 metres deep, 2 metres deep, you know, the, the, the cod are going to work that out and have worked that out. So you need to work that out. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, with all the technology we have and all the social media and all that sort of stuff, it is no better time to um, understand a fishery more than now. Yeah, yeah. No, 100% agree on that. So what's the topography like at Gugong? Obviously, when it's full, it's got a different kind of structure to when it's like 30%, but has it got sort of a mixture of uh, when it's a when it's a wet sort of season, it gets lush green banks, or does it have a stack of steep rocky banks, or is it a mixture of both? Like for someone who's never been, what's the kind of layout? Like obviously, you know what I'm talking about, because somewhere like yeah. Burrandong is a lot flatter than somewhere like Burrandjuk. What What's the go with Gugong? Gugong's quite mixed. It's got banks which are shallow, it's got bays which are shallow, and then it's got your deep um, rock walls and that sort of stuff. There's actually a fair few deeper um, hidden places as well that people can't see, whether, you know, it's it's 80% full, 50% full, that sort of stuff. So there's some gems that people will discover. But in a general sense, um, you know, it's fairly lush when there's rain. Um, 
you know, at the moment when it's at 100% or well, thereabouts, you've got, um, you know, your pine trees, you've got your bushes and that sort of stuff. So bank walking can be quite difficult. Um, yep. You've got to really walk a long way to find those gaps in the bank. Um, and it's one so of those ideally places. Ideally, it needs to be lower a little bit like it was yeah, sort of yeah. last year for bank walking. Yep. Yeah, even, even 80% is a lot better for bank walking. Um, I mean, you can still go on the bank and be successful. With, you know, there are bays. Um, that you can fish, which are quite open, but you do have to make that um, that walk and put in that effort. Yeah. Um, but one of the things with Gugong is when it is full, there's a lot of banks which look the same um, in terms of being so cluttered. You need to find some of those banks which either are not cluttered or um, they've got the right amount of clutter on them because trying to navigate your way through a bank which just has, you know, spindly sticks all the way through it, even if it's a 100-metre bank, to fish that effectively, you've got to spend hours doing that. Um, yes, and obviously the factor tip. of, um, you know, people that are, you know, get constantly getting snags and getting annoyed, which all of us do to an extent, let's yep. face it. But, mm -hmm. you know, your average person will just won't put up with it and will walk away. Um, I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. Like if yeah, on a bank like that, you know, I, I agree that and that's a rule that can be applied to any lake at 100% almost what you've just said, like a yep. lot of banks get that spindly stuff, which can just be so frustrating at a hundred. So you, it's a great tip there. So you, you'd say pick ones that don't have it or ones that have sort of a good amount that allows you to fish it effectively. Yeah. It, it really depends on what the fish are doing at the time. But, um, you know, I've had great success on complete bear banks. Obviously being in a boat, you can fish, you know, the flats where there's nothing there or there's very few little boulders or that odd stick that's there, um, yep. you know, they can be very productive. Just finding a bank that has one or two little things either e either under the water or outside the water where a fish can hang on and be completely bare, um, you know, I'd like to fish that a little bit more than navigating through that heavy stuff. Yeah, um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if, if the bank, if the water didn't come up the last couple of months, I had, I had my plans. I knew what I was going to do in cod opening. I knew what was going to, you know, what I, what I had planned from stuff that I've marked years ago. And, you know, it's a perfect it's depth, but now it completely changes things. So that's the, one of the things about being on the water, you know, for a lot of the time and not just going out and picking the peak periods that people might pick on the almanac or that sort of stuff is when you do that, you spend a lot more time to understand that waterway and that's what's going to get you the majority of the fish most of the time is just that background knowledge. and um, Yeah, and having the technology now to mark something years later, come back to it when the water level's at, you know, that, that correct right depth, night. you know, yeah. it makes it all that all much better. So, so would you say um, are the fish in Guyong cod in particular they'll feed they'll they'll feed on both kinds of banks like at sometimes the year there's just as many fish on the flatter banks that actively feed but there's also plenty on those steeper rockier stuff is that kind yeah, of yeah 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 yep. so yep. a lot of, a lot of what comes down to catching um, Guyong cod is um, more so the technique rather than where you are in terms right. of a bank because every bank has a big cod on it yeah hundred percent agree multiple big cod on it on, on banks 100 yep. it's about being able to work your lure effectively and just putting it in front of that 
fish for the right amount of time because um, they've got that much food in there. The redfin fishing is just off its chain most of the time. They've got that much food that they, they don't need to hit your lure for actually yeah. belly feed. They will hit it out of aggression or, you know, if they just want to be an extra bit of a guts and have something else, then they'll, they'll hit your lure that way. But um, like I said initially, it's that working the lure slowly, incorporating those pauses, just working methodically, don't reel too fast, you know, putting those little ticks and um, flicks in your line, that sort of stuff is the primary focus when you're talking about, you know, catching big cod at Gugong or golden perch, in fact, as well. And, yeah. um, you know, working your lures on the bottom in certain um, aspects. So if, you, if you're casting the banks in spring for goldens, for example, you want to be hopping that lure um, on the bottom, very much close to it, in that weed, around that rock, you know, in that tree in some instances, like I've, I've gone out even this spring. And um, I found fish utilising my side scan, but I can't get them going. I have to sit in the tree, in the spindly stuff. I have to use my, you know, my live capability with my Lorenz live site. And I have to adjust my retrieve to get those fish going. It's the same principle for cod. Um, you know, when you can see yeah. them on your electronics, that's one thing. Catching them, a complete other it's thing. Totally different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what are what are a couple of the sort of your go-to lures for Gugong for both species? Do you have a few that you kind of steer towards that are effective based on obviously the bait fish and the presentations in there? Um, what are, what are kind of your go-to lures? Oh, yeah, definitely have go-to lures. Um, so, if we're talking about um, like I do a lot of vertical fishing, so I do a lot of vertical fishing for even for cod. Oh yeah, for cod, hundred percent. I've yeah, I started doing that many many years ago and um, kept it under wraps for a while. And people have cottoned on, and I've shared a few things. But um, you know, I vertically work for big Murray cod. You know, I'll be using Rapala rip and wraps in the seventy mil size. Um, and be targeting cod, you know, strengthening up my hooks, putting a heavy assist hooks on there, working it in the in the structure, working it on the bottom. You know, I that's what I've really been focusing on. Um, yes, I do cast them out, work them across the bank as well, and, um, you know, blindly cast for them, but very seldom. Um, so if we're talking about that sort of application, it's yeah. my lipless crankbaits. Um, that's primarily my go-to, whether that's a Rapala Rip and Wrap or a Storm SX Soft Vibe. So just this, you know, Soft Vibe that um, yeah. is a bit of rubber with no rattle once they get a little bit quiet, that sort of stuff. Um, but when we're talking about your traditional casting the banks, which is how we all pretty much start, how we started, you can see in the DVDs, casting spinner baits up on the bank, retrieving back to the boat, um, swim baits, that sort of stuff. So, yes, I like my spinner baits. Um, you know, I, I use um, multiple brands of spinner baits. Um, most recent stuff I've been using is um, the Storm RIP spinner bait, big profile. You can change your yep. weight on it, that sort of stuff. But my number one go to is my storm um rip shad so your rip shad just a plastic isn't yeah, it? yeah 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 so yep. quite similar to stuff that you use too you know fishing blowering you're imitating that um same sort of profile but you know i i really like the storm um plastics because they have such a big belly roll not only does the tail roll but the yep. belly just rolls and you know that natural red ring color is just an absolute killer for me whether that's byron jock or anywhere that fish go wrong um yep. Uh, the Rapala X-Rap Pedo. Um, so that's a hybrid, which is a soft tail. Um, it's got a um, harder front with some rattle in it, and that gives you a really wide, um, you know, wobble and body roll too. Um, 
and then you know just again casting my litless crankbaits into the bank um, but primarily spinnerbaits which has gone out of the fray a little bit now obviously yeah haven't casting. they yeah they have but they're still they're still good and my last cod that lower. i caught um at the end of last season was on a on a, on a spinnerbait and it was a nice nice big fish um so they yep. still have their place but you know swim baiting sort of stuff big plastics or the actual swim baits themselves you know the the glide baits are like you know you got storm glide baits um you know this just anything that's um kind of large and in charge for casting banks and um yeah let's just crank baits all, all the way for vertical stuff yeah so touching on because the, the techniques of casting the banks would be pretty well the same as well fairly similar to where you would cast at any other lake so talk me through this vertical stuff for cod do you what's your approach do you fish a bank a likely looking bank and you work it super slow and you vertically fish or do you isolate that ledge or do you isolate an actual cod on your live technology do you actually look for your cod and then work it until you can get it to bite with uh, your lipless crankbaits fishing vertically. And then when you're fishing vertically, obviously seasons and things will change on how you, you fish it aggressively or softly or whatever you do. But is there kind of a, a technique to that? I'm just real curious as to your process there. Yeah, so, um, yeah, seasons do matter. Whether the water's cold, warm, you know, if it's um, generally colder, it's working a little bit slower, you know, a little bit of a hop keeping it on the bottom, sometimes leaving it on the bottom, not doing anything. And, you know, the warmer months, the fish will just grab it. Um, yep. But essentially what I do is, um, you know, I fish in the boat most of the time now. So, um, you know, I go out there and even just starting from the boat ramp, I'm, um, you know, I've got my side scan, got my structure down scan, got my sonar happening, and I'm just mapping it out from when I leave the ramp. Yes, I may have an area of the dam that I want to travel to, but I'm still looking as I'm going there because many times I've spotted fish and I've just gone, yep, stop here for a sec, bang, drop it down, first drop, bang. You know, you get a nice big fish. Or you that's probably a benefit fish. of Googong that you wouldn't get anywhere else because you're going at a speed that's perfect for the sonar or the sounder, which would you wouldn't get in other lakes because you're just fang it straight to where you want to go with your petrol exactly exactly that's cool it's it's really cool so um, i'm always on the on the lookout and um you know utilizing your electronics to find those fish nine times out of ten i'm literally i'm just looking at the screen so i'm looking at the tv the fish tv and i see a fish and i stop on it and i drop my lure on its head or just just to the side of it depending on if they're spooky or you know you don't want to be dropping a a, a lure directly on top of a fish generally when they're super super spooky but most of the time just dropping it right on top of that fish working the lure on the bottom keeping constant contact in the bottom is the key and um, whether that's giving it one rip letting it sit on the bottom for a few seconds 10 seconds 15 seconds sometimes 30 seconds um and you know incorporating a double twitch um you know moving it away from the fish a little bit so you're still on spot lock but you're just moving it away and you're like walking it up your boat for example Um, so yeah one of the big the big things with vertical fishing is patience you know you can see the fish it's not doing anything Right, trying to work yep. out what retrieve is going to help you in that situation, what lure is going to help you, whether it's slow rolling up to the top, leaving it on the bottom. It's really dependent on the species and what's happening on the dam at the moment. But the one thing for sure, 100%, a thousand, a million percent, is yeah. you've got way better chance 
of catching uh, a Murray cod, no matter what size it is, golden perch, yeah. Um, vertically fishing when it's extremely tough than you would casting. Right. Okay. Casting at a bank. Yeah. Um, because you can, you just get, you can just keep that lure in front of that fish's face, and with the awesome technology we have, and like you know the live technology that we have, you can see exactly what your lure is doing. So, you know, having that advantage is there, um, but you can see it, but just putting um, those techniques into practice and changing it up, like like I said, you can leave your lure on the bottom and not do a thing and they'll grab it. So um, I've had instances where I've just sat down for lunch and I've chucked my lure down, free-spooled it. Big key is free-spool it. Yep. Don't let your rod sit there, um, <laughs> right, because that's when it can Good all tip. go wrong. Good um, tip. <laughs> and then oh, sit down, man. have a bite to eat, and then bang, my rod starts going. I'm like, what's going yeah. on? Fish has got it. And then, you know, and then you get onto those hot bites, which happen a lot summer where the fish just grab it when it's on the bottom. You don't need to do anything or when you drop cod it. Cod as well as yellows? Like oh, cod yeah. do that? Yep. Yeah, wow. I've caught many cod, big cod too, just dropping it down. And before it even hits the bottom, they grab it. Yeah. They grab it off the bottom. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's just, it's one of those things where, it's it's such a good tool vertical fishing and it's just not utilized enough and a lot of people you know shy away from it because um they get bored i mean it's the same sort of thing when people started um you know grubbing up trees uh, for yellow yep. belly like in the ayc constantly used to fish it you know when we first started doing it, like it was boring you know yeah. like and then you start getting fish and you're understanding it uh, and you're just in, yeah, waiting fun. in anticipation you know, yep. oh, yeah, there's fish there. We know they're there. We can see them on the sounder, but they're not hitting it. But when they start hitting, you're probably going to get a golden school of, um, you know, 10, 20, 30 fish being caught. So it's the same sort of thing. It might only be one fish at Gurgong, but the thing about Gurgong is it's a trophy fishery like no other, yeah. in my opinion. I mean, the fish in there, um, goldens, cod, redfin, they're just a different breed. They're just so big and fat and... They just yes. they fight hard generally. Just to, you know, it, I've seen photos and I've I've seen um, people with um, fish of um, you know blowering quality. Blowering's a great fishery. They have big fish. They have big wide fish. But this is something something a little bit different to the Google ones. They're just that yeah. little bit fatter, that little bit more broad. They're just yeah. It's it, it's just you're gonna get a trophy fish. Yeah. Whether yeah. you're targeting individuals or you know a group of fish. And whether it's, even if it's not a meter, if it's a 90, it'll still be a trophy 90 because it's, they're like that fat from, oh, man, from yeah. me seeing photos, obviously, you know, it firsthand, but yeah, they're, they are an incredible fish. So with that, I've got a couple of questions with that vertical fishing, uh, for people, it, your, is there a rough depth? Like, can it vary anywhere from summer being, you know, 10 or nine meters and shallower in winter? And then I understand the technique, but if you didn't have your live sonar, would you vertical fish or it's pretty well a bit, it's quite tough to do without it. Like the reason you're doing this now is because of that technology. And if someone doesn't have that technology is their best option to still just cast the bank. Um, I would still do it without, like it's not just that live capability. It's just the general 2d sonar as well. But okay. um, if I didn't have a sonar of any nature, what I will do is still hover close to those banks, but try and pick those banks which have that little cod step that I referred to where it's shallow and then drops off deep. Um, yep. Work that particular channel. And also the classic thing about going to a point, working a point, um, whether that's starting two metres deep 
going out to three meters, going out to 10 meters, you know, find where those fish are because there is a pocket that generally the fish are going to be acting the same way. Um, and you, you know, just slowly work out and just vertically sort of mix up your hops, mix up your yeah. sway and your little side to side or dropping it and up and down. You just work it sort of out. That's a yeah. really cool way to fish, eh? It is. It is. I mean, the added bonus, if you do have the technology, is you can see what you're doing, so you're not going to get as bored. Um, yes. You can see your lure bouncing, whether that's just traditional 2D sonar or that live capability. You can still get a good sense of what's going on. Um and then, yeah, casting the banks is great. Like, don't get me wrong, I started casting banks, caught many, many, many big fish, small fish, everything in between casting the banks. It's still something I do enjoy because there's nothing quite like getting that that hit on the turn when yeah. you're casting um, a spinnerbait or, you know, a swim bait or something like that. A big cod on the turn is something that I crave. So as, as much as I do harp on and I actually go out and I vertical fish, yep. I still cast the bank as well throughout the day at, at points of the day generally too. So, yep. um, you know, it, it's not a be-all and end-all vertical fishing. Um, sometimes vertical fishing doesn't work. Most of the time it does, but then casting the banks will work. So, And that's a about, good thing. There's, two, there's more than one option. You know what I mean? It, like, it, exactly. And then you've got surface fishing that comes into it. Not so great at Gugong because of the opening and closing hours, but, you know, you've got your surface option too. You know, that sort of stuff, you know, fishing is just endless in terms of lure fishing. You know, I started in, in the Bidgee when it was cod fishing, you know, progressed the fishing like Burley Griffin, big cod in there. Same principles that you work at Gugong will work in Lake Burley Griffin. Um, we'll work at Burrenjuk, we'll work at Burrendong, which will work anywhere. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's yeah, it's just an exciting time that we have. I've said it multiple times already, the technology, which really is, um, you know, bringing all this um, – the, the freshwater native fishing aspect, um, you know, to the top of the list for a lot of people. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's, and it's, who knows where it's going to go. It's only going to be exciting as the future moves on. Man, I really appreciate the, the tips you've shared on Gugong and, and just sort of a background of it, but I was so intrigued about your, your story and that that's the stuff that I enjoy the most. So I'm, I'm really glad that you sort of shared all that. That was awesome to hear. Um, you have talked a little bit about using the sounders. You, um, do quite a bit of work. Your your go to is the Lowrance. It's the live site, and and what, how does that? What models are you running in that? Just for people who are sort of interested in that. Um, right. So so the live site is actually the live sonar. So you know Garmin have their pan optics and that sort of stuff. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking live site. When we're talking about Lowrance Live, Lowrance Live HDS is actually the unit itself. Um, yep. So. You know, you had your HDS carbons and your HDS. It's just the more modern version. So what I run on my boat is a um, a 12-inch um, HDS live, and then I've got a smaller one at the front of the boat, which I use for my live site. Um, but, yeah, so I use Lowrance gear, and I have done for um, a decade or close to it now. Um, and the really cool thing about the Lowrance stuff is they um, – have something called fish reveal which is exclusive to Lowrance where you most people are going to be quite familiar with your 2d sonar which is really really good for um the size of the fish being able to interpret the size of the fish yes, and then you've got your yes. structured down scan which all the manufacturers do have which is fantastic for picking up you know the density of the structure the the, the crisp outline the shadows and that sort of stuff but generally it's not very good for 
um, you know, judging the size of the fish. And sometimes yep. those fish are just little specks, rice grains, or little highlighted footballs. Yeah. Um, and you know, the Lawrence um, fish reveal actually kind of highlights the two D over the top of um, that structure scan, so you get that pronounced Good, isn't it? fish yeah. side. So, um, yeah, that's one of the big um, key things about why I stick with the Lawrence gear is because you've got that capability, which is fantastic for the beginners too. But um, what what's getting me really excited is all this live stuff. Like, um, you know, all the manufacturers have it these days or are getting it. Um, getting it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, it's just incredible. Um, it's incredible. And that's the next step. Like we talk about spinnerbaits being a big thing. You know, when it came onto the Lewis scene, you know, people oh. started using them. Then you've got your TN um, jackals, that sort of stuff. That was another aspect. Yeah. And then you've what got your, your that? gulp grubs. Oh, yeah, your gulp grubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah your gulp grubs. grubs. I love this. So and we just start with these. Started with spinnerbait. Well, it started with a hard body, but then that yeah, was yeah. like there forever. So you got your spinnerbait and then your TNs and then your grubs. Yeah. I love this. What's next? And then you've got obviously your swim baits when you're talking yeah. about the next evolution. But um, one of the, you know, I think the big thing, which is going to overtake all that in terms of, um, you know, lures being the, the big thing, it's this live capability. Yes. You know, the technology that's out there now is great, but the, wait for yeah. what's around the corner. You know, you just don't know what's around the corner. It's, it's going to yeah. be pretty special. Keen, I'm keen. And the good thing about this podcast is I get to talk to everyone and get their opinions on live. It seems to be something that gets touched on at least a tiny bit in every single one. And I'll be keen to listen to an episode in like three years' time and listen back to one like this and just see how much it's changed. It'll give us yeah. a concept of time. It'll be bloody cool. Mate, I really appreciate your time. We're coming to the end. I've got a couple of quick last questions for you. Um, for your, do you have a memory of your top catch and I know you're a man who have caught a lot of big cod, a lot of big fish. It might not even be a cod, but I'm sure it is. Do you, what can you share the story, um, set the scene of is there one in particular, first of all? Do you have one that's your ultimate memory of catching a big fish or a fish? Your first is always gonna be good. Um, but um, I mean, can I give you two? Yeah, mate, go for it. Go for it. Because it can be hard two. to split. So Yeah, um, I love it. Here, I want to hear two. Cool. Go so I, I, I've caught a bunch in Lake Billy Griffin. I caught my first there, which is great. But First um, metery or first cod? Yeah, first metery um, yep. at Lake Billy Griffin. Um, and then, you know, I caught plenty more in there. But the the kicker for me was actually catching my first one at Google, not in the boat, because the first one I caught was in the boat, but walking the bank. You know, walking the bank, putting in the time and effort, um, I was fishing with um, uh, with someone who um, got really bored with fishing. So when I would find the fish and on this um, uh, summer's day, I think it was autumn actually, um, it was quite hot. Uh, we did a long walk, couldn't get fish. And then every time I found a pocket of yellows, he would come in and he would catch some of them and I wouldn't. So I was getting a little <laughs> bit antsy just going, I've just walked like 10Ks and you're just only fishing when I spot the fish. Now you've caught them. But anyway, so then going towards the end of the day, it's only, you know, I've only got half hour left. Um, and then um, I'm casting my, my spinnerbait um, and I just get absolutely slammed. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is a big one. This is a big one I've been waiting for. Yeah. And then 
all it did was it ran for a little bit, but then it just ballooned up to the surface. And I was yeah. just like, and this is the time Guon was quite low, so it was really scummy. So it was a lot of that surface stuff. So not only was this a really big fish, but it was all covered in all this um, top water debris. So it just accentuated how heavy it was. So I'm trying to drag this thing in. I'm just going, yeah. what's it doing? It's like floating at the top now. <laughs> like, what's going on? Um, yeah. And then I'm bringing this fish in and then I've got it in and I've got it in the net. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this thing is so fat. Like, yeah. it only was 106 centimetres, right? And now I'm saying only because, you know, this it is how thick it was, bigger. right? Yeah. Um, but the gut on this thing was so droopy. It was so big. It was just something I've never seen before in the flesh or even in photos at that time. And I'm just holding this thing just going, holy crap, this is heavy. And um, it was that wide and that, you know, thick that I thought it was like a 120 or more. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then looking back, and then I'm feeling the gut of this thing, and it's so rigid, and it's like it just swallowed some turtles or some ducks or something, right? And it was one of those fish where, you know, you catch those big cod and they've got those small mouths, and you're just like, yes, how can you get that big? Like your mouth yeah. is quite small, but you, you know, you're a meter long, and just look at your gut, and <laughs> you know, um, so you know, long story short, we released this fish. It's fine. It wasn't even red. It was just really nicely coloured. That crisp googong yeah nice green crisp white it was a beautiful fish and then you know looking at the photos and going oh my goodness it's like gut was sagging everyone's saying oh it's full so of air cool. and i'm like no no it's no, like no. actually rigid it's so heavy anyway that was that was the one that really got me going because it was such a big fish and then um i think one of the most recent ones which i'll add on top of that is um, yeah you know, I've been vertical fishing for ages, um, for many years, and um, I've lost so many really big fish vertical vertical fishing. Lost um, both, busted off, or mainly dropped? Bust, busted off um, a couple of times, dropped. Um, I had someone in the third DVD, or my last DVD, actually, Google. Stole the Sorry, fish green, green and gold on the road it was. And, I um, know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I freestyle my line, and you hear me say there's, there's a native down there. Um, and then I um, go to kill a ready that I just um, caught, and then I turn back around and he's on, and you know I free spool my line, and that's what I was saying earlier, free spool it because if you don't, a fish can grab it and off you go. Anyway, I lost a fish like that, so I was kind of frustrated that I couldn't get a really, really, really big one. Yeah. Um, and then last, uh, it was about a year ago, a year and a bit ago, um, I I got a one thirty vertically working and you know spotting Holy. it on the sounder filming Holy. it you know this is fish here and um drop it down bang it was 130 and one of those big 130s too so it was just that that you know the the appreciation of how long it took to Holy get that 130 no. i've PB, caught yeah oh look it's one of the pbs i've caught fish of that size probably a little bit longer um uh you know i but that actual fish was yep. just the holy grail for me because it's that yep. technique that I've been trying to get that really big one on. I've caught yeah, okay. fish, you know, up that meter range, but not that really super, you know, 120, 130 kind of thing. So that was the real special one that, you know, I, I put on my page not too long ago. It's on that um, yes. uh, Sona Masterclass as well. So do you, um, yeah, that's probably the most recent highlight, and it's going to be very hard to top and, and, and until I get the 150 at Google, which I know is out there. That's unreal. What did you get it on? 
Ah, uh, Rapala Ripping Rap. The, so, the... what do you tell people that say that big cod don't eat small lures? Like, that's the no. biggest thing I think of when you talk about that lure and that fish. Like... Yeah, well, well, it's, you know, a lot of people are catching, you know, cod on TN60s and that sort of stuff. This, this lure's got a bit more of a bigger profile than that. Sinks really quick, really heavy. But, yeah. I mean, what is big to a cod in real essence, right? You know, yeah. you see how you, you see what they eat. You see the big carp they eat, the turtles, that sort of stuff. We're not going to be able to throw a, a lure big enough for them to say, "Oh, exactly. that's too big." So, yep. And a lot of the times when you're fishing vertical, you want to be able to, you know, work that lure. So you do have to fish that little bit lighter. And when I say lighter, I'm talking forty pound. You know, sometimes 30 if I go really finesse on them, but mm-hmm. usually on 40, 50 pounds sort of stuff vertically. Yeah, okay. And obviously the lure is that size because you can effectively fish it, which then gives you more chance of catching a fish rather than exactly. trying to do that with something exactly. that's way too big. Yeah, yeah. And that's the yeah. beautiful thing about being able to modify your lures these days. You know, you've got assist hooks, which are strong enough and thin enough that now you can get away fishing heavier line. You've got awesome braid like Suffolk's 131 and H32, which is ridiculously thin, that you can, you can afford to go heavier and have that really, you know, low diameter or small diameter fluorocarbon as well that's strong mm-hmm. so that's that's the real benefit of having it these days versus maybe what, like 10 15 years ago when you didn't quite have that technology you know now vertical yeah. the vertical game is where it's at and i think you know that's the future when it that's comes so to cool. this sort of type of fishing yeah yeah that's so cool i've got one last quick like one last main question but touching on that lure what those hooks you put on it, do you upgrade it with um, like singles or the singles that are like the dancing jacks that are on the cord or what do you upgrade them with? I've got, yeah, I've gone through a fair few th- different things of, of late, but the one thing that um, I'm sticking with now is I, 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 I like to have um, your, your dual assists. So yep. um, you know, two hooks um, and, you know, the really good one that I've been um fishing with uh, a lot lately is the vmc um they they call it a light game jigging hook but that's light in terms of like the ocean sort of stuff that's but it's, game, it's actually yeah, yeah. it's um yeah it's actually very very strong and um they're light and they have like 100 100 pound 120 pound um you know cool. braid on them and they yeah. the, the thing that i like about them and is um you do have a lot of assists these days which actually are connected with one um, piece yep. of line so when you pull one hook too hard it can pull through the actual split ring mm-hmm. whereas these are individually put on a solid right. ring and then yeah so there's no split ring per se you've got to add your split ring to that ring so that yep. gives you that strength yep. um, so yeah I, I personally use that with a belly hook being a single hook Okay. Yep, that makes sense. So you got a single belly hook with the hook point facing backwards or forwards on the. Front. I look. I did do it um, facing out, so in theory you'll get more hookups. But I didn't find that was the case. Plus, you do hook up a little bit more when you're working, you know, weed beds and structure yep. and all that. So now I just have it facing in. Most of the time, you get the hookups on the back anyway. That's there for a bit of peace of mind and security. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. So, mate, people can follow you. Tell us about your pages, uh, your tags for where people can follow you, Instagram, Facebook, and you and the masterclass touches on a little bit of the low rant stuff. Yeah, cool. So um, I've primarily just been on Facebook. So I've got a Facebook page, Roaming, as in R-O-A-M-I-N-G, Productions Australia. 
Um, yep. And that's primarily what I've been doing the last few years. Funny enough, very recently I just got on the Instagram bandwagon, so I'm, I'm fresh on Instagram, same thing, Roaming Productions Australia. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we mentioned the DVD stuff before. If you're looking for any of the DVDs, just send me a PM through either one of those and I'll be able to hook you up. Um, I do some Sonar Masterclasses through the um, Lawrence page. I've done a, I've done one and I've got one coming around the corner. Um, so if you go on the Lawrence page, you can see some of the stuff that we're talking about and get a bit more of in-depth look at screenshots and interpreting what you're looking at for vertical fishing and, you know, around that sort of a game. Yeah. And, yeah, um, I also do some um, sounder tutorials as well. Um, yes, tell me about yeah. them. Tell everyone so, about those. Essentially, um, technology is a big part of my game at the moment. So um, I'm teaching people how to understand their electronics. So it's one thing to see it on the screen. It's another thing to be on your own boat and actually putting it into practice while you're on your boat, understanding um, the nuances of how your electronics are reading on your boat, making sure everything's set up correctly and then interpreting you know, that reading. So I do offer that service of... Um, setting up people's sounders and um you know their boat application yeah cool and and you've you've only been doing that for a little bit yeah yeah only just started fairly yeah, recently awesome. and, it, and it doesn't matter what type of sounder you have um you know the technology these days generally all sounders modern sounders are, are quite good and um quite um you know they they jump from one to another Makes a sonar sense. is a yeah. sonar so yeah. um yeah it's more about what you can get out of it um and yeah, understanding electronics because we're moving in that direction. And once you understand that a bit more, it's really going to impact on your fishing and um, how you um, evolve. And yeah, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, huge difference. I, I recommend everyone listening, if you guys are keen, uh, especially if you're in sort of the Canberra ACT region, um, yeah, definitely hit you up, Roman, and go learn a little bit about how to use them because it'll make a huge difference, like you said. So, mate, last question. Um, I've really, really enjoyed tonight. I uh, really appreciate it. Like I said, like you said, um, where everyone can follow you. Also, I'll leave your links to your Facebook page as well um, in the description, the show notes on the website. And also, if people are keen for one of those Sounder tutorial sessions, is it best just to inbox you through that page on yeah, Facebook? Yeah, yeah, Facebook page or um, if you're an Instagram person um like i said i just started that up so you can dm me through that as well but um so yeah just touch base through a private message through um, my social cool mate last of all first of all well ending i want to say thank you very very much not only for tonight uh the time that you spent with me to talk to people uh, i know we've gone for a little bit longer than expected but i hope you've enjoyed it but also for the work you did with those dvds back at the start uh your page sharing content just really unlocking googong and being happy to share now and also back when you used to create the DVDs, it's been awesome. Uh, you've inspired a lot of people, I imagine, with the content that you made with those DVDs, also your little clips on um, social media as well. My last question is, if we could finish up and you could share, pretend we didn't do this episode, uh, pretend everything was everything you've ever shared uh, with the world, fishing-wise, had disappeared and you could leave one lesson for people, what would the one lesson when it comes to chasing native fish from Roman be? Well, the number one lesson would be time on the water. It's a if good one. Yeah, if we're limiting it to one, time on the water, you can't beat it. Um, 
And yeah, that's uh, I won't rub it on because I rub it on for too long if I throw in other ones. But time on the water. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I'd like to say thanks for having me on, Reese. Um, you know, it's really good to hear that, um, you know, people appreciate um, all the hard yards back in the day, especially with um, a lot of that creation that Barry and I did. So, yeah, it, it, it's really good to hear that sort of feedback and um, the hours put in um, for those DVDs were thousands of hours of editing. Um, and it's mm. just, yeah, something that, um, yeah, thanks Thanks for the appreciation, and um, hopefully your your listeners get a bit out of what we've talked about. And um, yeah, um, no doubt, come on again in the future and um, talk some more because we've yeah. only just really scratched the surface. Yeah, of, didn't um, we? Oh man, I was I thought we'd easily cover it, and I'm looking and thinking like I've got so much more we could talk about. Like, yeah, it's been good. It's been really good. And um, yeah, no, you did it. You did a great job with it. And like I said, it's inspired heaps of people so all I can say the best I can do is say thanks and sort of talk about it and sort of talk about the stuff that you're doing now but mate thanks again good luck with Cod Opening this will this will come out for everyone listening after Cod Opening so hopefully follow Roman on Facebook and and um, hopefully you catch a big fish big fella um, yeah yeah I'm planning to catch a big fish or two and um, <laughs> yeah we'll um, report back and yeah you'll see some um, things in the future I think that um, yeah. hopefully will um, be to the listeners liking yes awesome stuff so roman's lesson is time on the water thanks very much mate um like i said on the website the show notes will have more info on this episode but cheers roman appreciate it mate there we have episode 49 everyone i really hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. Now, Roman, he's such an incredible angle and it was so good to get him on to sit down and chat with him and I just love listening to the story, the background story and everyone has a different story and I love unlocking that and sharing that in this podcast. Now, one thing I do want to mention is we did record this five or six weeks ago so there was a little bit of reference to cod opening, a few things like that but it is now out so I just want to mention that we did record it uh, a little bit earlier on and that's why we were talking about cod opening but there we have another cracking episode with an incredible cod angler and if you want to follow roman you can get the links to his instagram page and his facebook page in the show notes of this episode so the show notes are available on our website so you go to socialfishing.com.au and there are show notes there so they include key points within the episode so every episode has this just for your um, reference if you want to skip to a certain part of an episode or you want to listen to say just the rules on fishing googong those key points are marked out and the time is marked out in the show notes and also in the show notes is the links to everyone I interview their social media pages so the Instagram and Facebook for Roman is available on the show notes but I imagine many of you already follow him already now i hope you enjoyed it and if you did please take a screenshot whack it up on your story on facebook or instagram and tag us and tag roman as well to let him know that you listened and that you enjoyed this episode i want to hear from you guys if you enjoy it and make sure please head over to apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating and let me know what you think about the social fishing podcast before we finish up i want to touch on it again we have a free email list where i send out monthly emails with a stack of fishing content tips links to all the stuff we're creating videos articles things like that as well as our report 
thoughts, they're all in that free community email. And you can sign up to that on our website, socialfishing.com.au. You can head there and you can join up for free. All you need to do is put in your name and an email address and you can get access. Well, basically, I will send you uh, that email every month. Plus, you'll also get reminders for a stack of other cool things that we are creating. There's so many opportunities there, uh, not only to learn, but also to win stuff and a whole heap of different things. So, make sure you subscribe to that email list to stay up to date with some awesome freshwater fishing content. Also, like I said, I send out reminders on when new podcast episodes go live so you'll never miss one of these incredible episodes. And last of all, once again, the SF Maps. Make sure you guys get on and check out the SF Maps. We are continually growing them. As I mentioned, we have eight maps currently and we will continue to grow them inside the social fishing membership. I've just visited Glenbourne, Sinclair, and Lake Eucumbine. Those maps will be available soon, plus so many more. And what's best about these maps is they're interactive. They're not print maps. We're always updating them, keeping fresh content. But unlike a print map, which has a pin on a map, we actually have an interactive map with photos. So you can click on certain areas of the map, see photos of camping spots, see photos of the boat ramp, key bank fishing spots, and also key fishing spots out on the water. So you can see photos of the entire lake system. So that way you kind of have an idea of where you want to go. Plus I give star ratings to key areas and key spots. So not only are we sharing content on some of the key and more productive areas in an empowerment or a river system, you can actually see the photos for yourself. So if it's not the type of bank that you like to fish, you can keep looking until you find the kind of structure that you like and you're prepared and you know what is ahead. Like I said, we have eight impoundments or lakes currently and we're going to be adding more and then we're going to be moving on to some of the major river systems. With your support, we can grow SF Maps and the SF membership to something that has never been seen before. So guys, jump on and check that out at socialfishing.com.au. That's it from me this time, guys. That was a bumper of an episode. Went on for an incredibly long time, but I bet you enjoyed the whole thing because I was sitting on the edge of my seat and like I said, I could have talked to Roman for so much longer and I will definitely be getting him back in the future. He loves his fishing and it was just addictive sitting there and listening to hear him talk. So I'm keen to get him back on and I'm keen for the next few episodes. We have some more awesome special guests coming up and I bet you're really going to enjoy episode 50. So guys, uh, I'll be talking to you in that episode in a couple of weeks time. Once again, I hope you enjoyed this one. Get out there, enjoy the summer. I know it's very hot at the minute, but there's plenty of great fishing to be had. I hope you enjoyed this chat and I'll be talking to you in the next episode of the Social Fishing Podcast.